1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 4, Paul says there, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you are enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit, as always, as we continue now in our worship by submitting our hearts to the truth and the authority of the Word of God. So, Lord, prepare us by your spirit, and most importantly, we pray that you would speak to us now through the power and the ministry of your spirit as we study the scripture, and we ask this expectantly together in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, certainly in this life, if there's one thing that we should always be constantly grateful for, it is the grace of God. The grace of God, which has been continually shown to us as people. Now, as we said last time, in this letter we're going to study together, Paul is going to address and correct as well as instruct this church regarding many different areas that needed to be sort of reconciled and made right where they were out of order. Yet before he identifies what needs correction, the first thing that we find him doing is actually offering an encouraging word of commendation As the letter opens up and begins, look with me in verse four, Paul there says, as the body of the letter opens, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. So Paul starts out this letter by encouraging them, letting them know how thankful he was to God for the wonderful and obvious spiritual work that had transpired among them as a group of people there in Corinth. He says, I am thanking God, he says, for the grace which I can tell has been given to you. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 that God is the God of all grace. That is, however much grace we need and whatever kind of grace we need, God always gives that to us. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that the Lord actually sits upon a throne of grace and that we can go to him to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in our times of need. And the Bible also tells us that God is very gracious in his dealings with his people. And again, when we talk about the word grace, we're talking about God's freely given and undeserved kindness and favor and help and blessing that he shows to us as people. It's nothing that is earned by our performance. It's nothing that's earned by the condition that we're in at any point in time. It is something that God freely distributes to us because he himself is gracious in nature. And because he is gracious in nature, though we don't merit and never could deserve it, because he is gracious, he lovingly shows us his grace in many different forms. For example, God endures with us graciously as we reject his ways and many of us did a whole lot of that at different points in our life god is gracious to us when we even still rebel against him at times and is patient and gracious when we live wrong time to time 
All of us who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ have been saved by the amazing grace of God. Paul tells us regarding our salvation experience in Christ that we are saved by grace through faith, that it's the gift of God freely given, that it is not of our works. So it is by grace alone I've been saved from the punishment of my sin and the torment of hell and been given the gift to go to heaven. We are more than that kept by the grace of God. It's the grace of God that preserves us and sustains us by the power of the Lord. Many of our lives are blessed in lots of different ways. And I can tell you the sole source of the reason for any of those blessings in your life is the grace of God. That God has graciously chosen to bless you in the ways that you've experienced his blessings in your life. In fact, we're even enabled with supernatural grace to be able to do the things that we do in this life. The ways that we can accomplish things or certain giftings or abilities we have, those are all measures of the grace of God being shown to us. Paul himself, regarding his own life and ministry, said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's the only reason Paul said, I am what I am. It's by the grace of God. And Paul understood that reality. And Paul had witnessed how the grace of God had been given particularly to this church here in Corinth. He recognized that it was a lot of grace that was poured out on the people that were there. Remember, at one time, many of these people who are now part of the church of Corinth, they had lived pretty wild lives. They had lived pretty immoral lives among the wicked and rebellious city of Corinth. Yet God had graciously intervened and poured out his grace on this community. And as a result of that, had converted many of their souls to become followers of Jesus Christ. Paul's going to say this in chapter 6. Listen to what he says. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That is, go to heaven. And then he says this, And such were some of you. But, he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. In other words, Paul was identifying in his writing there, look, at one time, some of those who were a part of the church at Corinth were drunks. There were those who were adulterers in the church. There were those who had been recovering homosexuals. There were those who were thieves, those who were rebellious, those who were living in all forms of sinful practice, and yet the grace of God was poured out upon them, and they were delivered from those things. They were forgiven. Their lives were changed forever, and they were now serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul's saying here, I am so thankful for the obvious measure of the grace of God that has been given to you there at the church of Corinth because all of you are trophies of his grace. And Paul was rejoicing in that. You know, how often do we express our thankfulness to the Lord for just the grace that he has shown to us in our own personal lives? You know, there's a whole lot of grace that's been given just in this room this morning. There's a whole lot of grace that we have looked at and recognized, Lord, thank you so much for the grace that you showed in this person's life that I care about. And being able to be thankful for that is a wise and a good thing. Notice the pathway of where God's grace is distributed to us. Paul says in verse 4, here's the pathway where we receive the grace of God. He says, I'm thankful for the grace of God which was given to you, he says, end of the earth, by Christ Jesus. That is how the grace of God comes into a person's life, by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source 
of God's grace. He is the doorway whereby we experience God's grace. It's through an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and then an ongoing experience and relationship with him that we are able to experience God's grace in our lives to the degree that we do. He is the ultimate source of grace. It is through Jesus and because of what Jesus accomplished for us that God can be gracious to us in the ways that he is. And so look, this morning, that means this. If you need grace, come to Jesus. If you need more grace, draw closer to Jesus because it's by Jesus that you will experience God's grace being given to you in your life. So question, how was this grace of God that was given to the church that Paul mentions in verse four, how was that evidenced? How was that, in a sense, you might say, something that was obvious? God's grace had been distributed to them, but what were the indicators of that? Well, that's what Paul talks about in the remaining verses. The first way he demonstrates that God's grace had been given to them, first of all, is that their lives had been enriched, he says, with many spiritual gifts and divine enablements from God. Look what he says in verse 5. He says that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift. So by their experience with Jesus, these believers, Paul says, by the grace of God given, had been enriched spiritually. You look up the word enriched, it speaks of improvement in quality to be enhanced in value or made more wealthy. And look, if we were all to be honest, all of our lives, apart from Jesus Christ, truthfully, were in a pretty poor condition. The quality of our life prior to walking with the Lord was, quite honestly, not the greatest. But it was when we came into an experience with Jesus Christ that the quality of our life was greatly increased. And all of a sudden, the value and the quality of life we were experiencing was greatly enriched by the grace that God poured into our life through a relationship with his son Jesus and it's the outpouring of Jesus's grace that brings enrichment to the church as well that's what Paul addresses in verse five there as he's going on he says you were enriched in everything first of all he says in all utterance or in all speech translations may render the idea there is they had been spiritually enabled by the grace of God to operate in these speaking gifts these utterances that were given by the Holy Spirit graciously to them in other words they were some of them able to be anointed by the grace of the spirit of god to be able to preach and to teach the word of god they were experiencing the other speaking gifts of the holy spirit such as able to speak a prophetic word on occasion able to experience the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom able to pray in tongues and have interpretation of tongues he also says not only were they enriched in utterance or speech, but they also were enriched, he says, verse 5, also in knowledge. That is, by the grace of God, they were experiencing revelation in their understanding of who God is. They were increasing in their awareness of spiritual things and receiving at times a word of knowledge from the Lord in regards to things they needed insight about. It was by the grace of God and the Spirit's enrichment that at times they had discernment into certain things so they had knowledge and understanding through the discernment that was given to them in fact paul says they were so blessed in verse 7 he says that you come short in no gift the idea there is reference to the gifts of the holy spirit the power of the holy spirit's ministry was graciously at work among this group of believers there in corinth this church 
was actively experiencing and operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, what we'll see they were failing to realize that though they were experiencing the gifts of the Spirit as a measure of God's grace, they were failing to realize that that was given to them to help one another spiritually and not to try and impress one another by being spiritual show-offs. And this is what Paul is going to address when he gets later into the letter. And look, a healthy church should and needs to be operating in the spiritual gifts, whether it's evident that it's happening or it's happening in just a supernaturally natural way. We need the operation of the Holy Spirit's gifts among us because that's what builds up the church body. That's what keeps a church healthy and keeps it from harmful things. That's what it powers us to advance the kingdom of God and to be effective in service. Chapter 12, Paul is going to say the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit that is the benefit of all. Now, that being said, we have to remember the gifts are given to us as a measure of grace spiritually. We are just human vessels. There's nothing special about us. We simply are the recipients of grace being poured into our life as the Holy Spirit himself determines how he wants to operate and who he wants to operate through by the dispersing of his grace and manifestation of the Spirit's ministry in these gifts. But again, there's nothing special about us when the Holy Spirit operates through any one of our lives. We are simply weak vessels that the grace of God empowers to serve in different ways. And apart from the gracious power and enablement of the Spirit, we could do none of the things that we do at times for the Lord. Paul's going to say in Romans chapter 12, For I say, through the grace of God given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But he says, but that you may think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Having then, he says, differing gifts according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Again, Paul says, look, God's given us all a measure of faith and a measure of grace. But he says, we should never think there's anything special about us. We should keep a humble attitude of that awareness and just a pure heart in however at times we may be used by God. Paul's going to say in the same letter, what do you have that you didn't receive? Nothing. Everything we have, we receive by the grace of God. And so we recognize that we're just stewards. As Peter says in his writing, each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, Paul is going to say there in verse 6, so gracious was this powerful work of the Holy Spirit among them. He says, even so, this is the testimony of Christ being confirmed among you. In other words, what Paul's saying in verse 6 there is these spiritual experiences of the grace of God happening among you. He says, this is confirmation of what I told you about the Christian life. That is that the Christian life is not about a religious routine and dead rituals and doing religious works, but it is a very real experience with the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ where his grace is moving among people's lives and he is manifesting his power through the enrichment of the gifts operating among the church body. Well, secondly, we take notice as we go on here, another way God's grace had been given to them is they had now become very expectant 
of the Lord's return. This was another evidence of the grace of God. He says in verse 8, or excuse me, the end of verse 7, you are now waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, they weren't just waiting for the Lord. Paul says they were eagerly, eagerly waiting for him to appear. Again, right now, we don't know, nor do we see the Lord with physical sight, but by faith. We live by faith. We know him by faith. We see him by faith. But yet there is coming a day when we will see him face to face. There is coming a day, the Bible says, when he will appear again. And we will literally see the one that we have loved spiritually for all this time. And one day he will appear as he returns for you and I, his followers. And that will be the greatest revelation that we ever receive. When he appears and we see him face to face. And here Paul is saying, it's so wonderful to see how God's grace has worked so powerfully among you there in the church of Corinth that you are now eagerly waiting for the Lord Jesus that you are enthusiastic about seeing the Lord and experiencing the appearance of the Lord. And look, the reason they were in that condition was one, because a work of grace had happened in the hearts of those people there in Corinth. Now they have an eternal perspective. This was a work of God's grace because that's what God's grace does in a human heart. It changes it. It completely transforms the condition of a person's heart where their interests become changed and their longings are now different and their outlook is different, where perhaps at one time they were so eager for this or maybe they were so excited about that, but when the grace of God does a powerful work in somebody's heart, all of a sudden now they're eager about the things of the Lord and now they're excited about experiences with Jesus and one day being with Jesus because the grace of God has attached their heart not only to the Lord, but attached their heart to eternity. And that grace has caused that effect. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And see, when someone's heart is in that condition, that's an unusual heart condition. And the reason for it is because a work of God's grace has happened inside of their heart. And that's why their heart is now focused on eternal things. Hey, this morning, ask yourself today, what are you most eager for? What are you really looking forward to the most? And what are you most excited about and eager about in your life? Is it some earthly thing or temporal things of this earth? Or are you most eager for that which is of the Lord, for the things of God and that which is eternal? Perhaps today is a good occasion even to ask the Lord to just do a fresh work of pouring out his grace into your heart to make you more eager about the things of the Lord, to make you more enthusiastic about things that are spiritual and eternal. And notice God's grace doesn't just change us. It also has the power to preserve us as well because you see what Paul says again there in verse eight, he says, referring to the work of Jesus and his grace in our life, he says, who will confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. One translation renders that verse. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Now, again, when the Bible speaks of the day of the Lord, it's speaking of that time period 
when Jesus interrupts human history and steps back into this world and appears and reveals himself for the bringing home of his church, as well as beginning to usher in the last day events that the Bible speaks about are going to transpire. And for those of us who know the Lord, we should, and and hopefully we are, wanting to live as faithfully as possible to the Lord until the day he appears and brings us home. We don't want in our life to find ourselves in some backslidden condition when Jesus appears and we meet him face to face. We don't want to be in the midst of some sinful attitude going on in our life or living even in some practice of sin at that moment when we actually meet the Lord. Nobody wants to experience that kind of shame. So the question becomes, how do we keep ourselves in a right condition and how do we stay in a way that's pleasing to the Lord until the end, until the day that we meet him? Well, be encouraged. You can't keep yourself blameless on your own. It's not possible. And look, when, when the Bible uses the word blameless until the end, it's not talking about perfection because nobody's going to be perfect until the day you get out of this world and you have your glorified eternal body. The word blameless just means without guilt or cause of blame. So the word blameless just means you're not involved and engaged in something consciously that you know that you could be blamed for. That's what blameless means. But how do we keep ourselves in that kind of a condition until the end? Well, it's by full dependence upon the Lord himself. Because you see what he says there in verse 8? He says there in verse 8 that it is the Lord himself that allows you to be blameless until the end, until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who confirm or keep you until the end. He helps us to stay in that right condition. It's Jesus who saved me from sin's penalty originally, and it is only the power of Jesus that can keep me from sin's power currently until I reach the finish line. It's only by his power that I can continue by the grace of God to remain faithful to the Lord. He's the one who preserves and keeps us. Jude 24 says it this way. He's able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless in heaven. Look, folks, our one role, here it is, it's singular. Stay connected to Jesus. Our one responsibility is just to stay in close relationship with the Lord, and it is his power that keeps us blameless. It is his power and grace that enables us and sustains us. You know, I've always loved that lyric of the great hymn, Amazing Grace, that says, it's grace that's brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Lord, the only reason I've made it this far is by your grace, and the only way I'm making it to the end (laughs) is by your grace sustaining me until the day that I get home. Well, third and final thing we see in verse 9 regarding the grace of God being in evidence among their lives is we see here that they were experiencing God's faithfulness in a relationship with Christ. This was another evidence of God's grace. He says, verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, here in this verse, we see, first of all, a revelation of God's character. Paul declares there, God is faithful faithful. God is faithful. God is indeed many wonderful things, and all of his attributes wonderfully work in full cooperation and perfect harmony. For example, God is loving. God's patient. God's merciful, and God is kind. At the same time, God is all-powerful. 
and God's just and God's holy and God's righteous and God's wise. And here the Holy Spirit reminds us, and God is also faithful. God is also faithful. That term, when you look it up in the original language, speaks of someone who always fulfills their obligations and performs their duties. Someone who completes their business transactions and always follows through with commitments. That's how the word was used in its original sense. Look, how wonderful. God is reminding us here that he is fully dependable, 100% reliable and utterly trustworthy. That God is unchanging. He never deviates. He never alters his ways. He never has a bad day. He never has a situation where he compromises in any way. He is completely committed to who he is and to all of his ways. He's utterly loyal to take care of his people. He's totally dedicated to his children. He will never fail us. He will never be hindered in anything that happens from being able to continue to be faithful in all of our lives. In fact, the Bible tells us even when we fail, that doesn't discount his faithfulness. The Bible says even when we are faithless, God remains faithful because he can't deny himself. And how wonderful in a world where there are so many uncertainties, where there's constant change, when we find ourselves realizing there's no guarantees to anything lasting when many people are unfaithful, when people are unreliable, undependable, and letting us down, what an attractive and admirable quality I can find in God, that God is always faithful, that God will never change. And look, this morning, despite who has not been faithful or reliable in your life and maybe has let you down or hurt you, and despite what maybe what hasn't proven to be reliable and what you thought was so dependable has now been completely altered and changed, and despite even this morning, however, maybe you have not been faithful and maybe you deal with regret or guilt of your own failures and unfaithfulness. The good news is this, despite all those things, God is faithful and that will never change. That will always be a stability and a factor that is like a rock that will never, ever be moved. The Bible says great is his faithfulness. How wonderful to live in a world where we realize there's constant instability. And if you haven't noticed yet, here's a newsflash, in life, everything constantly changes, except God. Everything always changes, but God remains faithful. And that, for you and I as God's people, can be the one stabilizing factor we get to enjoy in our lives is we go through all the instability and changes and likes and dislikes and ups and downs. But for us, there's a stabilizing factor that keeps us stable as people because we know God is still faithful. In the midst of all the instability, God is faithful and God is dependable. Just reflect upon that wonderful reality. How many times God has been faithful so many times in your life? And to rest assured that he will always continue to be faithful, whatever unfolds, and no matter what you walk through. You know, Paul here even tells us, I think, one of the most gracious ways God has shown his faithfulness to me and you. Look what he says at the end of verse 9. He says, here's how you know God's faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, there's a wonderful example of God's faithfulness and how it's realized personally. Paul says... Here's how it's realized that we have graciously experienced 
being called by God into a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, just think about this, folks. When humanity was at its worst, its worst, in rebellion to God and separated from God, what did God do? He poured out incredible grace by providing a way of salvation and forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God and the hope of heaven beyond this hard world through the grace of God displayed in the work of Jesus Christ. That's incredible grace that God called people back into relationship with him. And to take it a step further, think about how God specifically intervened in your life. How God specifically showed his faithfulness in a prominent way by you personally being called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And for some of us, that means that God was gracious in that he faithfully allowed you to be born in a Christian household from the start and to have parents who knew Jesus and told you about Jesus. And from the earliest days, you met Jesus and were spared a lot of the heartache and regrets and hassles of this world. You know what? That's a measure of God's grace. That was God's faithfulness to you. For others of us, think of the things that we did in our life prior to the Lord and how God showed his faithfulness by having people who were praying for us when we weren't saved and having Christians come into our path who had enough courage to tell us about Jesus and how God kept faithfully enduring and wrestling with us until the day he finally got us with his love to submit to him. And look, your testimony is an evidence of God's faithfulness that he graciously found a way to call you into a relationship with the son, Jesus Christ. The incredible grace that God has shown, and more than that, he even promises that we can be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Look, this morning, in light of God's faithfulness, he is worthy of our faith. He's worthy of our faith because of how faithful he is. He's worthy of our dependence and trust in him. And since God's spirit is working in us all who know him to make us more like him, then guess what that means for us? That means that we should seek to be faithful in response unto the Lord. That means that we should seek to be faithful as God's people to one another. The Bible says be devoted to one another. And that also means that we should seek to be faithful to flexibly embrace walking by faith in an unchanging world whatever unfolds in the seasons that it does to continue to know that god is faithful no matter what's going on and that is enough to keep me stable spiritually mentally and emotionally would you stand with me